thank you so much. You did a great job with that. You really did. I appreciate it. And I also want to speak a word of thanks to our bell choir. Aren't they wonderful? Uh, some of you know that, that our bells have been silent for a number of years, and just in the past year, they have come to life again. Uh, this group has, has helped to refocus us about the beauty that that music can add to worship, and so we want to thank them especially today. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Isn't that what you said just a moment ago? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I bet that's very familiar to you. If, if it's not, if it's not, you may not have been into a Christian bookstore just lately. Um, it probably is the most merchandised phrase in all of the Bible. Um, I do imagine that 50% of the merchandise in most bookstores has emblazoned on it somewhere those words, um, etched, calligraphied. It is there, and it is meant as an encouragement to us that we live in our families in such a way that we are faithful to God. But do you know the context out of which that phrase came? It was spoken by Joshua at the end of his life, and he was not speaking so much about his um, genetic family as much as he was talking about those that were connected with his spirit and those that were connected with his covenant. And he had gotten this honestly, he didn't make this up on his own. In fact, when he became Moses' successor, Moses was at the end of his life. And Moses was speaking to Joshua and to all of the people, and he had them to commit themselves again. Of course, all along the path, you remember that Moses led the people out of Egypt, and on this path to the promised land, there were these times of recommitment to this Mosaic law, this law that had been passed on to Moses from God's hand directly. And as they recommitted themselves, what would we find? They were unfaithful in that. In fact, at the end of Moses' life, he spoke to the people and he said, you've been unfaithful to the covenant while I'm alive. What is it going to be like once I'm dead? You can read that in the Bible. He passed it on, this responsibility for guiding the people to Joshua. And at the end of Joshua's life, he had that same concern. Because it's a concern that every generation should have. Do you ever find yourself being concerned as to whether the next generation is going to understand and pass on the message of Jesus Christ to the next? Do you find yourself looking into the lives of your children and wondering, have they gotten the message? Have they gotten it completely? Do they have it in their hearts? Are they going to pass this on? with the intensity with which it was received, at least in our lives. This is a concern because commitment truly does matter. Our pledge does matter. Our vow does matter. Our covenant matters. You and I have a tendency to fall away from the intensity of the work that needs to be done. Joshua had these high expectations. 
He had high expectations of those that would come after him. You and I should have the same expectations as we look into our own life and as we look into the lives of others because without that, the church will weaken through the years ahead, not strengthen. Now, not everyone understands this. You and I understand it. We're here together in this place, but not everyone really comprehends how incredibly important this is. I was speaking with a precious member of this congregation recently. We were talking about dove season and we were talking about uh, that particular bird. And this person told me, he, he said, you know about doves, don't you? I said, well, I think I do. He said, you know that they don't build very good nests. And I said, I didn't know that. And he said to me, he said, he said they don't. He said they, they build rather flat nests and they don't add enough twigs to it. And he said their, their eggs will actually roll out of the nest with the slightest breeze. I thought, this is fascinating. But he went on. He said, he said not only that, he said, but, but he said, I've been out and, and tried to situate these nests better for the birds. I said, what? He said, yeah, I've taken these and I've, I've moved them into a better crevice in the tree, adding a few twigs to it in order that those eggs might stay in place. And I, I tell you, my, my respect for this individual went way up. Just the concern that the birds would do the job right. <laughs> Some birds know how to do that, but these birds don't seem to know. Uh, you and I have got to get this right. I was the pastor of Lions United Methodist Church a few years back. And one of the stories that is told there, I, I, have any of you ever been into Lions First Methodist there? Its sanctuary looks very similar in a lot of ways to Pittman Park Sanctuary. It has these support beams on the side. In fact, I, I remember that, that one of the ways in which it was described, the sanctuary was described to me when I first got there was that it looks like a ship that has been turned upside down, an ancient ship that's been turned upside down. And it does have this majestic quality like our sanctuary does here. Um, but one of the most fascinating things was how that sanctuary came to be in its uh, fledgling early years. Um, that congregation, there were many there that did not feel it's, that it was capable of uh, putting together a sanctuary, putting together the resources that it would take to build a sanctuary like that. They had sort of envisioned a little bit into it, but they didn't want to fully embrace the idea that they were capable of this. It, it sort of reminds me of a little bit of what I've heard in regard to Pittman Park and the uh, renovations that were done at Main Street because there were some that, uh, for good reason, had, had reservations about moving in that direction and embracing that because it was such a stretch for the congregation. And, uh, and yet hasn't it been a great thing? It's just an amazing space and already it is bearing such fruit for us. Now let me tell you that we haven't paid it off completely. And so if you, <laughs> if you have a special gift, I want to encourage you toward that. But it is a visionary, visionary thing for us to realize that it is a space that will be used for years to come. And in regard to the Lions congregation, what happened there, I heard, was that there was one man 
that became so impatient with the reluctance of the congregation to move ahead with the building project. They had delayed so many times that he went out and bought a truckload of bricks himself and had them delivered to the church lawn. We, uh, I don't know, should be manipulating it quite like that. But it was a sign to the congregation that they needed to get busy. There was work to be done. And they were capable, far more capable than they realized, of doing some great things. You and I must remember that commitment matters. Where we are with our heart in regard to the budget of the church and to the special projects of the church. And I could list some special projects that are coming down the pike. I can tell you that, that we've got, we've got some leaks in our church building because this is a, this is a 60 year old roof that we're under. And this is something that will have to happen at a certain point for us that, and some of you are saying, we don't have the money to pay for a roof, but we do have the money. We just haven't come to the realization that these things are what God is calling us to do in this day and age. You and I are called to be a committed people. I was interested to reflect on one couple, uh, one man in particular who came to me and he said, to me, he said, Bill, he said, I'm not a tither. Now, I've had people come to me and tell me that they were tithers before, but this particular individual said, I'm not a tither. And he, um, he said, he said, but I'm growing toward that. Some of you may have seen on our pledge card that we've got this growth in giving chart here. And he said to me, he said, I'm not, I'm not here. I'm not giving 10% to the church. At this point, he said, but I'm going to get there. He said, I can tell you that over the last four to five years, we have been giving. We've been thinking this through and we've been giving a percentage more of our income to the church each of those years. And he said, I'm going to get there. I guarantee you I'm going to get there with this. And I thought to myself, he gets it. He understands that this is all about commitment. It's about thinking it through, not leaving it to just happenstance. But you and I are called to take seriously this giving. Uh, there was a beautiful story that is told about this, this congregation that uh, it was at a, a small church in the country. And they were struggling with the idea that they could not repair the air conditioner. The bill was $465, which to us may not seem like a lot, but for them it was just beyond their minds how they could pay for that as well as the other things that they were doing. And so they had this protracted meeting and finally one of the leaders stood up and she said to them, she said, we can do this. In fact... Each of us sitting here, almost all of us, could write a check right now 
to repair this. We do not need to sell cookies to do this. We do not need to have a bake sale or a car wash in order to do this. And she took out her checkbook and she wrote the amount that was needed. And she said, if anyone else wants to join with me on this, any overage can go to support the work that we're trying to do with our children. When they had counted it all up, they had not only the amount to pay for the air conditioner, but they had $1,652, I believe it was, to add to their children's ministry. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing when somebody finally understands what commitment is about. I was interested to, to hear about a congregation that was celebrating baptism on a Sunday morning. Two families came forward to bring infants for baptism. One was a long-standing family connected with the church, and the other was a new family. These children were brought forward, and after the baptism, after the service, they were there at the front of the sanctuary again, the mother of the in the new family was holding her baby but had some things to tend to and the one of the grandfathers in the other family saw what was going on and he said here I'll hold your baby for you and she put the baby in his arms well while he was standing there holding the baby several people came up to him unbeknownst to them And they said, oh, your grandbaby is so beautiful. And he said, but this is not my grandbaby. This is their grandbaby. My grandbaby is right over there. And yet he said something very fascinating was occurring with me. Now, the next morning, the pastor received a telephone call from this gentleman. And he said, it's urgent that I speak with you. And the pastor said, if it's urgent, come right on over. And the man came, the pastor thought that he was going to tell him about a medical test that uh, had not come back good, but that was not it at all. The man said, I want to tell you that I was transformed by what happened yesterday. And The pastor said, the baptism? And he said, more than that. He said, I was holding, I don't know if you realized, at the end of the service, I was holding the child of the other family that came forward. And he said, people came up to me and were recognizing this as my grandchild, and I was correcting them, but as I reflect on this, it came to me all of a sudden, they're all our babies. They're they're all our babies. Not just my grandchild, they're all our babies. And he said, it also came to me that I care about what happens in the lives of these children, and I want to tithe my will. (laughs) I want to tithe my will at my death. I want to know that there is going to to be this church in place and that I am supporting this church even after I'm gone. He said, my family's not going to miss this money. It's only 10% of what is my estate, but I tithe my will. I'm going to fix it today in order that the church might be blessed. It is amazing when somebody gets it. Ultimately, Of course, this is not about our just getting the commitment of giving. It's about getting Christ, isn't it? Tell me, this this is about whether we get what Christ is doing. He who 
is God himself. And yet, in some mysterious way, as Paul said, emptied himself of God, taking on the form of a servant. You and I are called to do this and not to bring attention to ourselves, but to bring attention because Christ has done this. Christ has taught us what it means to give of ourselves in full commitment, to be extravagant with our generosity. Absolutely extravagant because this is the celebration of what Christ is making possible among us. Now, it may be that you're thinking to yourself, Joshua was saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this is what I'm going to do from now on. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Get a grip on it. Is it that easy for you to determine what the next generation is going to do? Is it easy in your family? Do you stand around looking sometimes and wondering, do they get it? Do they get it? I can tell you the best way to impress upon your children and the generations to come is for you to be as committed as you possibly could be. John Wesley had it right. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Are you doing that? Important question, important question. Are we doing this? Are we committed, truly committed to Christ? Because I tell you, commitment matters. As we come to this table of grace, let me remind you, that we have the opportunity to serve God. We are invited to his table to remember that. Let us worship in this way.